Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. And this episode is a celebration. We've reached a milestone with our Tartan Talk series. We're on episode number 50, and we're celebrating by bringing on Augustine Pisa of Pisa Golf. Augustine is based in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and he's a great guest to celebrate a milestone with because of the passion and excitement he displays toward his job and toward golf in his homeland and all across the world. Before we get going with Augustine, how about a huge thanks for Better Billy Bunker. Better Billy Bunker has been the sponsor of the Tartan Talks podcast since episode number eight. So that's three plus years. They've been out there supporting the stories of American Society of Golf Course architects, members. And not only does Better Billy Bunker support the ASGCA, Better Billy Bunker is a huge supporter of golf course superintendents and their work. So we're glad that they've been on board for such a long time, and we're glad that we were able to celebrate our milestone by speaking with Augustina via video chat from his office in Puerto Vallarta. Well, Augustine, it's great to have you on the podcast. This is the first time we have interviewed someone while they're in a different country for a Tartan Talks podcast. You're in Mexico right now at your home office. I'm here in Northeast Ohio, so it's great to have you here. First thing I want to ask you, so your, your website has a lot of cool videos and promotional items. And one of the things I noticed is you have a video where you you talk about a golf course being 20 years old and you help the client decide they need makeup, Botox, and surgery. I thought that was hysterical and that's a unique way of putting it. Uh, What does each one of those concepts mean to you in golf course renovation terms? Well, thank you, Guy. Really appreciate it. I am uh, so honored and to say the least to be on Tartan Talks. Uh, and um, and thank you for having me. And uh, thank you also for taking the time to uh, to view my website, our website, our work. And uh, funny enough, you arrived to that uh, description because I found out during uh, well my time. I've been 22 years in the industry, guy, and I found out that I have to do a lot of analogies, especially with my clients. Uh, to and I'm sure a lot of architects golf architects would would identify with this because uh, it's not it's not easy I don't care how much of a golfer you are to be able to visualize golf architecture to be able to visualize what we want to do to be able to grasp it as a client if you have no very little experience it's not as easy to get technical on the with the clients um, especially if they have a, a, a set of consultants or a, uh, or a board, you know, for, for maybe a, a membership course or stuff like that. So what I've arrived to the conclusion is that I have to do all sorts or some analogies. And when it comes to renovation, not all holes need a complete renovation. Not all, some holes need a little bit of tweaks here and there. Some holes maybe need strategies. Some holes maybe need something technical. Some maybe, uh, maybe something uh, that, that's, that's more like on the irrigation or on the drainage. Uh, another one's maybe needing aesthetics. And then another part maybe needing uh, just a, a few minutes. And then there's two or three holes that need complete revamp. So, that's how I described it. I said, some of your, when, when we do a renovation, does your, does your golf course need makeup, Botox, or a complete surgery? And they, 
catch it in two seconds. They're like, oh my God, yes, of course. This hole needs some makeup. This hole needs a little bit of Botox. And they, these, they need complete renovation. So that's when we go out there and do the walkthrough and go hole by hole and do a, a site analysis. That's how, I, that's how I do the analogy. They find it hilarious, number one, so it looks perfect to break the ice. And then, and then they, they see it kind of like a little bit more, if people can relate to a description, you'll do far better as an architect. What type of reaction do you get when you tell somebody that their golf course needs surgery? <laughs> well, imagine, I mean, everybody, I think that's the most difficult part, Guy, because, you know, everybody, the, a golf course for you, either if you're a director, an owner, or a project manager, or a superintendent, you, you seldom think that there's something wrong with your baby because it's your baby. So how do you tell somebody that their baby needs a little bit of makeup or a little bit of Botox or a little bit of complete surgery? So it's uh, the, the reaction, like I said, with that analogy, it breaks the ice completely. So they really, they really grasp and they really welcome uh, every, uh, uh, you know, any comment that we have to make. And of course you have to, you have to be very delicate, especially when you, when you work on, uh, on, on, on a, on a golf course where there's an assembly, where there's a, uh, a board meeting, etc. Those are, you have to take that a little bit more politics come into play. If it's just a one owner golf course, then you have a few laughs and uh, we do what we need to do. And, and the owner accepts it, especially now it all depends on what, what the client and what us as architects will recommend, because what, what are the objectives? You cannot do anything or you shouldn't do anything unless you know the brief or come up with the brief. What is the brief? Do you want to, to create better pace of play? Do you want to, to take your golf course to the next level, to a world-class golf course? Do you want to win awards? Do you want to, uh, to, to, to create other, other uh, amenities for, for the non-golfers, let's say? So something that we've been doing for the past two or three years. Um, what do you want? What does your course need? Are you, you know, are, are you finding out that you have now uh, leakage or, or a, a, you know, all of this on your on your irrigation system is it is it leaking once a week and you're finding out you need to repair a leak every week then it's probably time to fix your your another analogy that I do is probably another a good time to to uh, take care of your in, interior body all you know, your intestines your lungs your heart your liver that is something, you know, I've always, I've said it as well on the, on the outside, it's just like looking at our skin. You know, you look at your skin and it looks healthy, but you don't know what's going on inside. It's the same on a golf course. You can look and the grass is green, and, but you don't know if it has, or a lot of people don't notice if it's different types of green, different types of grass, different types of, uh, of, of any other type of, uh, of vegetation. And th with that said, Forget about the intestines, you know, the irrigation system, the drainage, the uh, profile on the, for the roots or the sand or the gravel. I, I, you don't know until you go in there and analyze all of those things, guys. So, so those are two analogies that I use a lot. What type of projects do you find yourself pursuing and executing 
these days. And I've been very lucky now, Guy, because after, let's say after 18 or 19 years in the industry, I've seen the client that, that gives you the keys to his house and says, Augie, do whatever you need to do. I'll be back in six months or whatever. Those, that's why I'm, I say I'm lucky because I've worked all my life to find those clients where, where I can be as creative as I need to be obviously with the functionality in mind, but at the end, we've, uh, with, the, with the concepts we've created with Wellness Golf and Golf Lounge and, and a couple of new ones that we're working on, it, when, when, you're, when you're an architect, or me as an architect specialized in golf course architecture, when you're, when you're an architect and, and you find that client that believes in you, that's completely, that gives you the keys, that gives you full trust, that's when the real magic begins. That's when you really turn that corner and, and it's a risk. Don't get me wrong, guy. That, that's when it, gets more, when it gets riskier because you're out there on a limb doing what you think is best, but that you know, risk is you take risk without knowing what's ahead of you. So you don't know if it's going to get good reports, bad reports, if you're going to say, oh, what the, what the, you know, what is this? What is that? What are, what are we talking about? But the important thing is the expression. If you can find that expression, if you can express yourself through, like I do it, through golf architecture, I like to think of my designs as a grass sculpture that, by the way, you can play golf. That's how I envision, because once you start to design, uh, and that's something I discovered a couple of years ago. We design for the non-golfer. If you design for the non-golfer, then you have a bigger market. If, if the wife of the client, if, if the person that does not identify with golf identifies with your project by aesthetics, by creating a nice work of art, that's, that's another, another thing that comes or that turns the corner on, on, uh, on what you do. Because uh, once, once, that, once the non-golfer says, I really want to go to this golf facility or golf course because I enjoy myself there to walk it, because I love the atmosphere, because I love the 360 degree experience, because I love taking pictures, that is, that is what we're looking for. We're not even 10 minutes into this conversation yet, and you strike me as incredibly passionate about what you do in the profession. Tell us a little bit about your background and where does that passion stem from? Uh, thank you for, for, for that out there. I, uh, I come, my background, uh, Mexican national, I come from, I come from a, a family of sports, if, uh, if I may. My great uncle, uh, he was the first Mexican to swim across the English Channel in 1953. And funny enough, he was a stuntman for Weissmuller, Tarzan, black and white Tarzan. You're probably too young to know it, but, uh, but, but the, the black and white Tarzan, it, it, he was a stuntman for, for Tarzan. So, so he was a nut for swimming. My grandfather, his brother, was uh, another nut for, for sports. And uh, my parents met as P studying PE, physical education, and they were and they brought me up as as PE teachers. 
So I've had sports all my life. That's how I grew up. That's what I saw. And, um, and I've always played all sports in a competitive, um, in a competitive fashion, if I may. So I, I, every time I've been in competitive sports until I graduated from college, from university as an architect. And then I decided to take on golf because I couldn't play any other sport as a, as a team anymore. So, so, uh, so I decided to pick on golf again. I said, ah, I, I remember I liked it. I just didn't, as a kid, I didn't really, I didn't, I, I think I didn't, now that I connect the dots, I did not savor it for what it is because I and, and tackles and everything that goes with it when you're a kid. So I played a lot of sports and, uh, and then I, I, I took golf. I, I, I continued with golf when I was, what, 25 years old. And that's when I understood this fantastic and beautiful sport. Once I understood it and started playing golf and enjoying it, then now with this, I'm going to pause here a little guy, because since I was, since I was 10 years old, I knew that I wanted to be an architect. I have no idea why I will not find an explanation but I knew that I wanted to be an architect. And without hesitation, I signed up for architecture when it was time to go to the university. I graduated as an architect and I, all my life or my college life, I wanted, I was wondering how do I connect sports with architecture? How do I connect sports with architecture? I thought that I, maybe I could do stadiums, maybe I could do parks, maybe I could do country clubs. I didn't know, I didn't know about golf architecture. When I graduate and I pick up golf, a friend of mine says, hey, you're picking up golf. You know that uh, Jack Nicklaus, uh, my, my, my a very dear friend of mine works for Jack Nicklaus. And I'm like, what do you mean? Jack is retired. I mean, as a, as a what? Says they design golf courses. And I'm like, really? You design those things? I, so that, that's another thing, guy, that relates me to my clients because usually they're, you know, a lot of people ask if you really design golf, art, golf, golf courses. And that's really funny because it connects me to my clients and to friends or the or surrounding people of my clients because they also underestimate the quality and the art and the science that science that goes behind golf, proper golf architecture. So I can relate to that. That also gives me that edge on my, with my clients because I was there at one point, 22 or 23 years ago. So anyway, going back, my, my friend says, Hey, yeah, we'd love to, I, I want to, uh, I can introduce you. I think I got a little overexcited. Hmm. So my friend says, hey, Augie, let me introduce you to my friend. You're going to love him. So I said, please, I need to talk to him. So that's when golf architecture discovers me. That's after that. Well, the long story short is that four weeks later, I was working for Paragon for Jack Nicholas's uh, construction company in Cabo doing Palmilla and El Dorado. Two Jack Nicholas signature golf courses in the Mecca of golf in Cabo. So that's how I started my career. I worked in construction. I worked uh, 
um, uh, two weeks later, I was I was uh, I was walking walking with uh, alongside Jack Nicholas as a listener and uh, and starting to learn the ropes. That's how I started my career. Then after that, I I worked at Querencia with Tom Fazio. So just imagine those uh, my my first three golf courses at that level of schooling: two Jack Nicholas signatures and a Tom Fazio, and then a Robert Von Hagee. It, it, it really, uh, and then eventually working with Gary Player at Costa Baja, or now Las Parotes, now uh, El Cortez. So just imagine that type of schooling. I consider them all my mentors. I've been very lucky in that respect, Guy, to have that brush by each of them, uh, and then obviously, and then and then capping it off with a master's degree in the in the in the cradle of golf, uh, uh, Scotland. So that's my backstory there, Guy. When did it hit you that you were somebody that didn't even know that this could be a pro profession, right? And then you're, you're working with some of the all-time greats of the profession and all-time greats of the game. When did it hit you that th this could be a career you could, you could make it a, a go of it? it, it oh, that's a great question, Guy. Uh, connecting the dots, I don't think it really hit me Till, and I don't think it has hit me because I do think that I'm living a dream. And, um, but, but I'll tell you this, guy. When that happened, when I was walking my first, well, my first golf course, and I started from, from scratch. I mean, I, I, they sent me, you know, I, I, they made me pay my dues. I was, I was out there taking ice and water to the labor guys all, every morning, every mid at, at midday, and every and after that, and taking the drainage parts and doing whatever. But that made me even stronger because as a golf architect, there's, there's. I mean, I say it with due respect. There's, I know exactly what the ins and outs of construction. So when I'm on a chat with any construction company. I, they know that I know what I'm talking about. And that, that also gives me a big, uh, a strength in golf architecture because I worked for six years and then, then I've done a lot of project management for, for my clients. So, uh, so that, that's that part, but I'll tell you this guy. I, it all started with the dream of, of mixing, joining, fusioning, sports and architecture and and it it it, it, it has been fulfilled now through golf course design so uh, like i said guy I, I am i am living my dream you're huge on wellness in fact you have a golf wellness concept explain to our listeners what that is and is that where the fusion between sports and golf is really starting to come into play now the one thing that I like, guy, and because of my uh, my vertical architecture degree, is that I'm I'm always looking for how to reinvent myself. How next project going to be better? How is it going to be unique? How is it going to be different? And not only that, but usually when you do projects, vertical projects like building a house, you you come up with a concept and you justify the concept. So all of my projects have a concept behind them. 
or or some sort of justification behind them. And you'll see in matches, I do it everything, and you'll see, you'll see my sketchbook, and this is probably a uh, a Picasso painting. So because right now what I'm what I'm doing now with now that I fly a drone, what I'm doing also is imagining my golf course as a painting from the sky. Because now that everybody can fly a drone, you can go up and appreciate the beauty of that painting on the earth. So that's another angle that I have in, our, in my golf architecture, is how will people, how do the birds see it? How would somebody on a drone or, or operating a drone see my work of art from up on top. How are you going to see it from an airplane? Maybe it's a little bit too high, but you know, that, that's the philosophy that I have uh, when, I, when I start designing, especially in the drone era. So all of these things occur to me of how am I going to give it a, a, a better twist, a, a unique twist. And one thing that I came up with in uh, 2018 was the concept of wellness golf. Wellness golf basically invites you to unlearn golf, invites you to take your shoes off, connect with nature, and enjoy the three degrees of the atmosphere. It's about well-being. It's about placemaking. It's about creating and designing for the non-golfers. So this area is a space that is of, of a less footprint, so what you want to create is a less intimidating area for the grandfather to play with the grandson, for the mother to play with, the six, with their six-year-old kid. Uh, those atmospheres is what we want to create. Like I said, if, if we have the non-golfers hooked, we're, we're taking this to the next level because we already have the golfers. They, the, uh, you know, we're... we're we're, 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 I think there's a saying, we, you know, we're preaching to the choir, no? So, so uh, I mean, why not go to the other 80% of, of, of the crowds? So that's part of the vision there. And wellness golf is there for you to unlearn about golf. And it's a great concept because it, it's a, it, it came, I got inspired by, remember the, the, the board games? where on one same board, you can, you can play checkers and chess and, and multiple games. On, uh, you know, you flip it over and you play multiple games. That's what you do at Wellness Golf in Chablis. That's you, you have four greens on the center with five corners, like a, imagine a big X. So then you have, you can use it as a driving range from each corner. You can use it, and I like to think of it like, uh, like a ski resort. You have the bunny slopes, you have the intermediate, and then you have the advanced and the professionals. So for the, for the bunny slopes, you know, the, the green circle, you can just, you know, you, you can create a, a, a nine or an 18 or whatever hole you want it, wherever you want to drop, pitch and putt surrounding the lake in the center. If you want to go intermediate, maybe you want to play over a few shots toward uh, on top of the lake or the big waste bunker. If you want to take an advance, then you can really crisscross a, uh, uh, the lake. And if you want to take an advance, my greens are designed as a, uh, uh, I don't know what you call it. I, I, I like to call it as a, as a, as a bowl 
uh, an upside down bowl. So if you want to practice with, you know, you have the tee boxes that are leveled, but if you want to practice the ball on your foot up or, or, or the ball on top of your feet or below your feet or behind or in front, you can just go on the sides of that tee box and it will all have that, that uh, challenge for you if you want to if you want to hit a 200 yard shot in from that stance you can also practice that so you have different shot values as well you can create a disneyland of, of shot values you can you'll have all sorts of trickle downs bump and runs lag putts anything that you can find as a professional golfer you it'll be there uh 12 percent uh, uh uh slope for you to, for the approaches any there's a lot of things and the greens since it's not a regulation golf course the greens are also very originally designed to form a nice work of art from from the from the sky i don't think a lot of our listeners are familiar with what golf in mexico is like uh i believe there's only 250 courses maybe just slightly more than that how would you explain this golf situation in mexico to members of our audience who aren't familiar with golf in your country? Well, I think, I think golf in Mexico, golf in Mexico has two, uh, let's, let's, let's categorize them in two lanes. One, I think we're, we're a world leader in, um, in development for tourism. Like our, our, our three main, our three main hubs for for tourism for golf tourism or Cabo as we probably everybody has been there or a lot of people have been there that has a lot of high end and some of the best golf courses in the in the world in the in Land's End a beautiful place like Cabo where where the desert meets the ocean etc cetera, etc cetera. I think it's just a beautiful place then you have Puerto Vallarta. This is where I live, where I have my headquarters, and I love this place because it's 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 proper Mexico. It takes it, I think it takes Cabo to the next level in regards to to the you know the 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 old colonial town, cobblestone, uh, very very narrow lanes when you go to city center, and um, and the mountains and the tropical forest. Then we have Cancun, or the Mayan, the Mayan uh, country or side of, of Mexico, and the Caribbean, where, or, or where, 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 where you have the Caribbean Sea, ocean. So that, those are our three ones. But, but if you go to Huatulco, it's a fabulous place. If you go to San Carlos, it's a fabulous place. If you go to Veracruz, it's a wonderful place. But it's not a golf destination because it only has one or two golf courses. It doesn't have the typical, you know, to create a golf destination, you need at least five so that you play once, <clears throat> excuse me, so that you play once, one golf course uh, per day. Let's, let's put it that way. So that's, that's one side. The other side, uh, well, to top that off, that's one side that is catered to tourism. So yes, national tourism, which is very little, and mostly uh, uh, the the import uh, tourism. You know, the Europeans, the uh, the uh, everybody from the states, Canada. It is catered for that. So, growing up as a 
regular citizen of Mexico, there is no access to Gaukta. And what, and, and, and that, I've spoke about it a few times because we cannot blame anybody really for that because that's the way that we knew Gaukta. That's the way that we know it from 150 years ago, 120, 30 years ago, when the British came over to Mexico to work on the mining industry or the petrol industry. And what did they do? They brought golf. They created a nine hole or an 18 hole golf for their community. So guess what? What we know and we've seen are gated, gated uh, communities because it belonged to the British. It's their gated community and that's where we and how we knew golf a hundred more than a hundred years ago. So the next natural step is for somebody that loves golf and somebody that has the means gets together with other friends that have the means. So now you get the, the big industry leaders, Mexican industry leaders, and they say, well, let's create our own golf course and gate it as well, because that's the model that they know. They, we never grew up in a model like the British Isles where, where, where the golf course took care of itself with the sheep grazing it and, the, and, 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 and it ra where it rains more than 300, drizzles more than 300 days a, a year. And golf is just their natural, like the, the golf links in the, in, the, in the UK. So here where resources are scarce, you need to actually force golf out of its element because that's what it is that's what we do we force golf we 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 have created golf taken golf out of its element and we as human beings and with our big ego we create a golf course wherever we want that's bottom line so now with all of this said this is how we grow up in mexico as a gated community and that's what we know so you really can't blame anybody now time though now after the WGC in 2017 championship Mexico championship that we have top 10 in the PGA Tour we have the top 50 players coming in and and just giving us a fantastic show in Mexico City now it's different in 2017 we start the first team and I've, 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 I'm doing the honor I'm honored to direct it uh, with Mr. Benjamin Salinas and Grupo Salinas, who are the owners of, uh, of the WGC. And now we have more than, a little bit more than 250 underprivileged children with nine chapters in Mexico. I mean, there's no way that that would have happened prior to the WGC. So what's happening since Lorena Ochoa, 10 years ago when, he re when she retired, she retired 10 years ago exactly, I think, that created a great wave. That created the Abramansivs. That created the Carlos Ortizes. That, that's creating a new era in golf in Mexico. And of course, I mean, let's not forget Maria Fassi. So all of that, all of that has, has now really placed the eyes on golf in Mexico. And, uh, and now with the first team, now we're in 2020. Now we're creating, as a matter of fact, I think 
that the last time golf was played with an audience was at the WGC in uh, late February. I think that was the last one, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, with all this uh, uh, thing that's happening around the world. So, guys, that's, that's what's happening in Mexico. And I think that when the government understands the importance about golf, the values that it brings, the, the, how, much, how many jobs it, golf generates, when they're, I think we're starting to understand, I hope, this is as well wishful thinking, because like you will say, there's around 220, 220, 250 golf courses in Mexico. I mean, only, the, only Southern California has that much. So when you start thinking about that, we have room at least for another 250 in the next 50 years. We just need to create the public, the proper public model so that we can create more and better players. What's the daily life like on a Mexican golf course? Are this, a lot of the same maintenance practices and techniques used in the United States, a lot of the same construction practices used. Where are the workers come, coming from and how much industry education do they have? And what can you do to uh, help some of the new workers on the golf course that maybe haven't been exposed to the game? Guys, sorry for this. Uh, I, you, the, half of the question got cut. If you oh, that's mind. fine. I might have been on mute. mute. Okay, so what is it like when you're on a golf course in Mexico? What are the workers like? Is it similar to being on a United States golf course, seeing the United uh, States maintenance programs and practices, or is it a completely different way of managing a golf course and, and, and doing things in your country? It's, that's a tricky thing. Everybody can relate to the Mexican workers and how we break our backs out there for, for what we love to do. It's the same, they just get paid less. So that's the only, that's the only, I, uh, we, we, we really want to raise that bar. It, it wasn't long ago here in Mexico where a superintendent not really respected, he was, he was actually seen as a gardener. So all of that, that has changed in the last, let's say 15 years. But before that, let's say uh, past century, uh, there was very little respect, but there are, there are great superintendents. There are, uh, uh, I, I, think, I think even the, the, the GCSAA got their, had their first Mexican president, um, uh, the, the greenkeeper superintendent that just finished his term. So yeah, Rafael Barajas down in Mr. Barajas, exactly. So, so I, that sets that precedent. And what I'm saying is that, that in, in 2000, I think it really changed where now Mexican nationals and owners of golf courses, they're starting, they, they, they have respected that position. That said, there is something that I, that I still like a lot about uh, 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 maintenance in Mexico, uh, it, which is that our, the technology is not yet here. We're usually like 20 or 30 years behind the states in technology. So, um, so everybody has a job. You know, we, we have 40 to 60 people out there working, whereas in the states, you're probably looking for how to get rid of them with new machinery with now the gps is coming in on the on the on the 
on, uh, you know, on all the uh, equipment or some equipment, uh, which is which is good, but you know, it's uh, it, it it's something that that I guess the world is turning to, but uh, something that I can appreciate a lot uh, still in Mexico and Latin America is that is that is that whoever works in, in, in golf, whoever's behind the curtain in golf, I think we absolutely love what we do and we get up and we smile and we're out there and we love the, the freshness of a, you know, of, 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 the first, uh, of the first cut in the morning, taking the dew out of, uh, away from the greens. Those are the things when you see the, the the maintenance guys out there and our caddies as well, they're always smiling. Um, they're always smiling. So that's what I do. And, and the same in the States, hey, believe me, they, they, I love saying hello to the maintenance crew in the States whenever I play or whenever I visit with, uh, with a fellow architect or, or uh, uh, to, to look at their work and, and walk through with them. I always say hello. I always approach them because you know they are they are part of us. They 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 make us look good, and um, and and that's that's basically it. I think we have to recognize that every time we're on a golf course. How has twenty twenty affected golf tourism in Mexico? What's this year been like, and what are some of the challenges? It has affected guy and Mexico, as you well uh, as you probably know, was ranked number six in. Uh, in visits before 2020. 2019, Mexico got all the way up, if I'm not mistaken, to number six in the world. I mean, that's that's not a that's not an easy thing to say. We're talking about we're talking about France, we're talking about uh, England, we're talking about the big boys, and to have Mexico, and obviously the states, and to have Mexico on on a top ten most visited where you have, like I said, Italy and places like that. We have worked a lot and come a long way into really offering a fantastic service, a fantastic um, safe, uh, you know, a safe environment for everybody because it's not the same what you look at the news and, and on the movies than, than what really happens, especially in touristic areas. <coughs> So now with the perpetuation, considering that Mexico has uh, three big incomes, one is the petrol, two are the, we call it remesas in, uh, in, in Spanish, but I don't know what the English word, it is the money that comes from the Mexican workers abroad that send money to their families in Mexico. There must be a word for it. And tourism. Those are the three, the three income and the three big and main cards uh, for Mexico to survive. Petrol is coming down. And so we really have to take care of the tourism. Now with uh, COVID and everything that's happening, of course we're suffering. Of course the golf courses were closed uh, for for two or three months, which I find it funny enough. I think, guy, I think we lost um, an opportunity there as a golf course. Some of them, I, I think. I don't want to be too harsh, 
But if you go down, if you go back in history, Central Park in New York was designed in part for after the cholera um, break. So when you design a space like that, in a city like that, for sane, you know, to, for safe distance, to create an area for, to breathe, to go out, to distract, to be safe in a distance, you know, keep, keep safe distance, etc. for a potential cholera breakout. And then a hundred and some years later, we have COVID-19. I think that a lot of people forgot about that part of history. And we just decided to close on, to close golf courses where we could have kept them and done a very humanitarian, made, we could have made a very good humanitarian approach and let people go in and walk. And let people come in and walk for kilometers or, or miles, walk a couple of miles, do some sort of scheduling tea times. Oh, you, this family's coming at 1045. This other family's coming at 10. Do a trail. Please come in. Welcome. Enjoy nature. Because we all knew that, or, or eventually we knew that vitamin D is vital for COVID. Fresh air is vital for COVID. So I think we missed on that opportunity, Guy, being a little bit harsh, to be honest, but it, it is what it is. <laughs> it was a... I think we missed on a humane opportunity as golf industry. Given the importance of tourism in Mexico, how important do you feel your job is? What you do brings people into the country and betters the lives of a lot of people. How, how big of a duty do you feel your, your job is? I think I have, I, I take it as a big responsibility guy. Thanks for asking. I take it personally. I take it as a big responsibility. I would, I, I, I'm always involved in, uh, in tourism and bringing in, in trying to be the best ambassador I can uh, as, a, as, a, as a golf architect around the world when I, and, uh, and just trying to, to get more people to come and love and enjoy Mexico and, and our golf courses, but not only our golf, golf courses, but our, our culture. I'm doing right now a what I call a the Gulf of Mexico, but not the Gulf as a G U L F, but the G O L, the Gulf of Mexico, and uh, and I'm and we're going to create a campaign where we invite you to not only come and play golf for five days, but do a cultural experience with golf. So let's say that you begin in Merida, and you find yourself doing. Uh, you know, going to go play golf on a very, 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 very good golf course called uh, the Dolphin, uh, designed by fellow, fellow, uh, uh, fellow member uh, uh, Greg Lecce, and and then and then going and looking at Chichen Itza, one of the uh, one of the new seven wonders of the world, and then. Arriving to well, arriving to Chablis Resort, um, in and playing wellness golf, and then the next day you go to Cancun, and you go to Tulum, and you play Mayacoba, and 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 all of a sudden you spend eight days on a one on a just a breathtaking experience. 
mixing culture with golf. That's what we're going to start to create. So yes, I feel a lot of responsibility. I take on that responsibility. And we, another thing that I do in Mexico, because of, you know, not everybody's up to speed in golf. Um, usually you have the naysayers because it's normal and, uh, and probably it happens in the States as well, because it's normal in a lot of countries in the world to just be negative about a golf course. But if people understood in the social and the economic and in the ecologic side of golf, where you have all these benefits, you know, golf is a sport that creates more, that generates more, more jobs. It, uh, it, it creates, it creates a better environment in the surroundings, whether you're a member or you're not a member, you still benefit from a big lung or a new lung in the city, especially in Latin America where we don't have central parks. We don't have a big park uh, because we haven't had good governments uh, generalizing, of course, but, but, but that's it. So, so we don't visualize when we, when it comes to urban planning, we don't visualize, we just grow. And all of a sudden, Oh my God, what do we, what do we do here? What do we do now? What do we, we're always constantly just reacting. We don't plan as Latin Americans. We don't plan for 25 years. We don't plan for 50, much less for a hundred. We're usually, we're usually just planning for tomorrow, mañana. And you know what that means. <laughs> so so, uh, so that's, that's part of our culture that needs to change, I think, in that aspect. Some, I love, I love the mañana culture because it also relaxes you. There's some very nice things and positive things about the mañana culture. But there are some really negative things about the mañana culture. If we can take those negative things about the mañana culture, we are in, a, in another whole dimension as Mexicans and Latin Americans. A golf course architect knows great land when he or she sees it. How much great golf land is left in Mexico? It's a geographical answer here, guy. We're, we're talking about, you know, we have probably five or six types of, of, of of ocean, if we are talking, we have a hot Pacific down in the south. We have what Jack Cousteau called the um, the aquarium of the world in the Gulf of Baja California, the Sea of Cortez, on the on the inside of the Baja. We have the Gulf of Mexico. We also have the Caribbean side of Mexico. All of that is the aspect on anything that you want to do also if you take desert three or four types of deserts all the way from dunes to to the cacti in, in Cabo we also have our not a lot of people know this but the great the great canyon on the Mexico side is deeper than the than the Grand Canyon in the United States but we have not exploited it for but Copper Canyon in Mexico, it is a deeper canyon than the one in the States. So, but, but we need all the uh, better infrastructure, better road there, et cetera, will give us a great opportunity to create more and better golf courses in Mexico. With your structural architecture background and your golf course architecture background, do you dream of designing the golf course and the clubhouse for the same facility? 
That's a very good question, Guy. Yes. Yes, I do. And I have some, uh, a few crazy ideas with the, with the, uh, with all the vertical. Yes, I do. I'm just waiting for the correct client and the correct time to do it. But definitely with my architectural background, I, I am working on the vertical side of architecture as well, eventually. I do a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, master planning. So in my firm, we do a lot of master planning and, uh, and some ideas and sketches and, um, and collaboration with, with very good vertical architects in regards to the housing and the, and the clubhouse and everything. So yes, my, let's say, let's put it this way, Guy, uh, my, my dream development would be to be able to do the vertical and the horizontal one day. Well, Augustine, this was a lot of fun. It was uh, the first time we've done one of these over a computer. Uh, we learned a bunch. This was a great conversation. I think a lot of us now want to jump on an airplane as soon as possible and, and get to Mexico and see some of this land for ourselves. So congrats on everything you've accomplished, and we look forward to catching up with you again. Well, thank you very much, Guy. Thank you for that. Please, Mexico, we'll, we'll receive you with wide open arms. We love, we love people. We love to give great service and uh, and I think we have a very good climate for it and, uh, and 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 we're just happy to receive everybody here in Mexico you are all welcome and thank you very much guy I feel very honored and proud to be part of Tartan Talks and especially to be part of the American Society of Golf Course Architects